for the people who don't know what tarofing is, it's when Persians offer you something, you have to say no. The first, I think it's like the rule is three times, even if you want it. So, for example, someone offers me tea. I want it, but I say, no, it's okay. Thank you. They say, no, 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 please let, let me let me make you tea. And it's like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. say my last name you know whatever you want whatever you're comfortable with all right my name is tara from la from LA. i live in new york i'm going on to my second year in new york she's not a new yorker yet not yet not yet i'll get there oh though. your program was only a year it was two years oh okay but i moved here august 2017 oh okay yeah um i just finished grad school at nyu I'm really excited to be here. No, I'm, I'm excited to have you. It was like fate that I ran into you yesterday. Yeah, Millie and I ran into the street, ran into each other on the street. Ran into the street. We ran, ran into, ran the, into street. the street. <laughs> and I had heard about this podcast. And I was like, I want to be on it. I'm a Persian girl. <laughs> Let's do this. Could you tell us a bit about your family? I guess this is what people want to know is like, how persian your parents really are they're like well how persian Mm -hmm. is she so when did your parents move to america so my parents were born and raised in iran they moved to the united states in 1973 um they moved to new jersey so they met in iran yeah they met in iran and oh i don't know that many people whose parents met in iran like i feel like most people their parents met here really that's so funny so i guess your parents are like really 1973 later on i don't know i know it was in the 70s they moved here and then the revolution started in 81 so they couldn't go back for 10 years um, my dad was finishing up his residency in New Jersey and then they moved to LA in the eighties wow. and I was born and raised in Los Angeles and same with my sister. And how but old is your sister again? She's 33. Oh, okay. That's a big age difference. Yeah. We're about nine years apart. 10 years apart. Oh, were you a mistake? No, actually, <laughs> I was on purpose. Okay. Um, Apparently, I was kind of a mistake. But. Whenever there's a big age difference, I just either assume parents are having like empty nest syndrome and they feel like their kid doesn't need them anymore, so they need to bring a new one so they could feel needed, or it was a mistake. I was definitely a request. Okay. It was like okay. my sister being older and being like, I want a little sister or brother. Yeah, That's it's always so like cute. one of those two. Either the parents like want to feel needed again or they just <laughs> had a mistake. It's so funny though because my parents, they were really like strict Persian parents with my sister. No phone after 9 p.m., can't talk to boys. 
me being 10 years later, it was like I had a bunch of guy friends all the time. I was always talking on the phone. Um, you know, I was able to bend the rules with my curfew. Yeah, I feel like your house was like in my head when I was a kid, I would always think like, oh my God, Tara's house is like full of liberation. Like, I feel like you always had so many people over. that with my sister at (laughs) all. But with me, it was. It's funny how tired parents get after 10 years. Oh, they definitely weren't tired when it came to me. (laughs) Well, you were the only girl, so it's different. That's true. I'm sure for you, it was like the opposite. I'm sure your brothers had so much freedom and Mm -hmm. then you were like watched like a hawk. Yeah, precisely. See, for me, it was the opposite because my mom growing up in Israel had such a strict father and it was so weird for her because like everybody else could have boyfriends. Everyone else can talk to guys. And like for my mom, like whenever guys would come around and be like, oh, I'm Dahlia's friend, her father would be like, Dahlia doesn't have guy friends. I'm sorry. You have to leave. Like, so she wanted to do the opposite for me. She was like, I want to be as like cool and chill with you. I want to be your friend. I want to let you do what you want. Like when I wanted a fake ID, she's like, here, take the money, go buy one. It's like it was very different, but having such an old-fashioned father, my father's like, I think my father's more old-fashioned than either of your parents, probably. Definitely, definitely. It's just I never listened to him, so it, <laughs> it never had an effect You're the on rebellious my life. Rebellious child. Oh, at at the age of like fifteen, my father like stopped yelling at me for things, and I was just like, "What? Like, what are you doing?" And he's like, "I gave up," and I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool, <laughs> that works." <laughs> um. Wait, what was I? I was totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Too many tangents. We were talking about her home and how her parents were way more chill with her than her sister. Well, what I was going to say is that about mental health, my immediate family, they take it relatively seriously. Like they're, they are pro-seeing therapy and stuff like that and sometimes medication. Even not my dad so much, but my mom is very open to that. But my extended family like doesn't really treat it seriously they think it's something that's in your head they think therapy is kind of um just useless and i i find that it's because they were older when they left iran so being that your parents left iran when they were older do you find that they have the same view or like did you ever encounter problems where you had to tell your parents like i'm having severe anxiety depression i don't know i think I think in general with Persians because of the revolution they have always had to have this strong personality to them where they got through things and they just in general had to be stronger so when it came to mental health my mom always says it best she's like because you're not wearing a cast it's not easily seen Mm -hmm. so people don't take it as seriously I like that. I was very fortunate where I was born into a family where they did take it seriously. And my immediate family as well. I have definitely been in many Persian households and my extended family where it's kind of just shrugged and not even spoken about. But we did talk about it. I can always tell, though, it's still a touchy subject. Versus like, oh, my throat hurts. Exactly. And it's like, okay, let's get you medication. No, let's get you chai. Yeah, like let's get you some tea with honey. Versus. Would you hear these sirens? Yeah, I hear it from here. And we're like high up. This is a soundproof room. I'm so confused. 
Yeah, you could totally hear them. <laughs> but growing up, I have always had really bad anxiety. Like my dad would grab my wrist and always be like, oh my God, your pulse is so high. And it's just something I've always had. And it's something I've had to learn how to deal with and how to cope with, which is really hard because on a day-to-day basis, some days it's easy, some days it's hard. And I've been lucky enough where I did have parents that understood that. But, you know, I think this goes kind of for everyone, being Persian, not being Persian. You have to find a way of dealing with it on your own. Um, And I did struggle at times with my parents where I'm like, no, this isn't like I'm getting in my own head. This is real. Yeah. This is me actually having kind of a disorder, like an anxiety disorder. And how would they react if you had like an anxiety attack? Because it's like similar. Some people think that they're having heart attacks. And no, Natalie yeah. has seen like a Not just plethora you. of my panic attacks. Mo- multiple of my friends. Like I had to go to the hospital with a friend because she thought she was legitimately having a heart attack. It's scary. I'm never going to forget my first panic attack where I thought I was dying. Me too. Me I too. was like, my lips are numb. Okay, let's all share our panic first panic attack stories. <laughs> I, I feel, like, bad that I can't relate. Okay, Tara, you go. <laughs> you too. But it's, like, everyone has their different things. Yeah, the, Like, I can't relate to so many people. But that... how did yours come? Like, was it really out of nowhere? Because that was mine. It was just out of nowhere. I've always been a really anxious kid, I guess. And it wasn't necessarily caring what other people thought. It was more caring, making sure others were okay before I was okay. And I can't remember exactly what happened. My first real panic attack. Oh, I was in high school. And I had this epiphany where I was like, oh, great. I screwed up. I didn't study the way I should have. And my grades aren't the best they should be. And I had a father who was a doctor who, you know, wanted me to probably be a doctor or a lawyer and I was sitting in my room I was like 15 years old and I just started getting into my head about this I'm a failure and suddenly I couldn't feel my lips I couldn't feel my fingertips I couldn't breathe and I realized I was having a panic attack and the only reason I realized is because yeah I'm like amazed that you realized that at the age of 15 I had always been a Oh, wow, I was a really weird kid. I was always really into psychology. Okay. I at first was a psychology major, but I used to always read about it because yeah. I just love the human mind and the way it works. And I had remembered reading about panic attacks. I was like, okay, that's what's happening. But I think that was my first one, I think. Oh, wow, that's young, I feel like. No, my first one was very... The first... So I had like the first one that I knew was a panic attack and then the second one I didn't know um the first time I think it was more of an anxiety attack because it was brought on by weed and I was smoking from a very young age which I really really don't recommend I think it does kind of damage your brain if you're doing it like 14 15 yeah that's why Millie's so messed up (laughs) (laughs) um kids don't do drugs but yeah I just like I remembered I, I was with my brother and his friend and I was trying to like 
show that I could smoke just as much. I was like, yeah, I can split this blunt with you. Like, I don't even know who thinks that way, but I thought that way, I guess. How old were you? 15. Oh, God. I really had issues. Um, <laughs> not really. I think that was really the culture at Beverly High. And, like, I find that people who went to other high schools don't, like, I feel like I was the most, like, drinking or, like, drugging. Not that I really, weed was, like, really the only drug, but, like, all that stuff I did in high school, and I finished after that, whereas people from other schools, they experiment after but I don't know if there's something in LA like I, our high school. I personally experimented more after. Yeah, no, I know that's why. But think, like, there being, was a heroin epidemic at our high school. Like, oh really God, crazy what? stuff was happening. I think being from Beverly Hills, you have this like mentality of wanting to grow up faster mm-hmm. and wanting to progress sooner, and not understanding the like secrecy and the value of being innocent and being a child. And yeah. you're in this rush to catch up to other people and what society is showing you. Do you think it has to do with having access to like more money than a 15 year old really needs and that they just feel like they can do so much so they do it? Well, I don't know. I think a lot of the people who were at our high school weren't actually wealthy. The wealthiest people were at private school. So I don't know if it, maybe it was like the fact that we were in the face of glamour Okay. But not, I wouldn't say like there were really super wealthy people at, but it was a, definitely a smaller percentage of wealthy people. I don't know if you agree, Tara. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of people say that before mm-hmm. where they've said that it's probably because you had, you guys like had more access and had more money to experiment with things. But no, I think it's more this rush of wanting to grow up. And for some reason in our head growing up was doing drugs and drinking. Yeah. Like I didn't touch weed until my twenties. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm only fucked up. No, no. but then I, but I started like maybe like seventeen, eighteen. Uh-huh. But so many people they they were fifteen, fourteen. Yeah. I yeah. did start drinking whenever I was fifteen and then uh, I drank much later actually. Wait, but I wanted to share that I didn't say the first panic attack story besides the weed, because I think I don't know if people could relate to this, but I was um, it was actually the it was no ruse. And we were having a party and I was cleaning out uh, a vase that we had flowers in. And I remember I was like under a lot of stress. I was I was studying at the time and I, I just finished finals or something or because it was a quarter system at UCLA. Anyways, not re- not relevant. But I was really stressed, and my mom was like, it needs to be perfect. Whenever my mom throws a party, it's like, really, she has to go all out, even if it's a small party. And in the back of my mind, I was stressed, but it was not at the forefront of my mind. So I was just cleaning this vase, and then all of a sudden, I just, I don't know, I just felt like life was leaving my body, and I couldn't breathe, and I went in front of a mirror, and my face turned white, and then it started turning like purplish red. And my mom came and looked at me and she screamed at the top of her lungs. And she usually never reacts to anything. She usually laughs at me. So I saw her freak out. And then I just, I felt like I was falling. So I just started running around and like, I just started, I went into the fridge and I just started throwing ice at myself and trying to eat something. I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Like life is leaving my body. And my brother called the ambulance and um, they came and they were like, we don't know what to tell you they're like yeah your blood pressure is low um and then i i was like pretty traumatized for a a week or two and then after that i i just didn't know what it was i was so stunned by this that i just 
I couldn't walk. I was just always collapsing whenever I couldn't eat. And everyone was like, oh, you you have depression. But I was like, I'm, I don't know what I'm depressed about, though. I don't really know what I, sh- I feel like my life is going really well. And they're like, well, these are symptoms of depression because you're not getting out of bed. You collapse. And I was like, but I really felt like there was something wrong with me health wise. Um, but eventually it just kind of got less and less. But I still have panic attacks. But now I just know what they are, sort of. Sometimes, because last time you thought you were having an allergic reaction. I know. Okay, she's seen like all. <laughs> I love she's you. I love you too. <laughs> I think people use the term panic attack and anxiety attack very loosely. Anxiety attack is very different. Very, very and different. people are always like, "Oh my god, I was having a panic attack." Like, no, 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 no. no. Like, oh, no, no if no. you were having a panic attack, you truly think you're having a heart attack. You think you're dying. And I've had them. Of course, I've had more anxiety attacks than panic attacks because panic attacks, when they do happen, you remember it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it feels like it's been five hours when suddenly it's only been 10 minutes. Exactly. But wow. also, I think it's interesting how you said people were quick to assume that you have depression because these are symptoms with mental health a lot of people love to self-diagnose or they love to diagnose one another. Like, oh, you're bipolar. Oh, you're depressed. Oh, you have anxiety it's, or yeah. you have this. And it's not that simple. And what I always think is so interesting with psychology and scientists would probably hate me for saying this <laughs> is science can go so far because with psychology, there's always that human component to it we're very complicated and I think with Persians although many families they do brush off mental illness or mental health because Persians are so complicated (laughs) also because they they hide most of like they just love to hide things something about Persians it's like oh you have an illness hide it like oh you're angry about something hide it like oh this excites you hide it like everything's hidden it's like persians are like they're not even onions at this point i don't know what they are like (laughs) everything is like such a puzzle with them you have to know how to maneuver your way through it's like a maze every time i speak to an older persian woman it's like i'm listening to one sentence and i'm like trying to figure out what that sentence really meant and it could have had like 20 different like on the last what was it the last episode or two episodes ago i was like this woman was like wow i didn't recognize you you lost so much weight and i was like what was that supposed to mean was was that a compliment are you saying i used to be obese like what is it like you couldn't recognize me like it's just everything they say is such a mystery it is so like yeah mental health wise like i'm sure persians are like an amazing experiment like i think psychologists need to get their hands on more persians Oh my god, definitely. I also love whenever different cultures meet Persians because you have to explain to them. <laughs> I know. Like there's the concept of tarofing, which is so just out of this world for many people, especially Americans, I found. Yeah. Um, and for oh. the people who don't know what tarofing is, it's when Persians offer you something, you have to say no the first like 10 times the first i think it's like the rule is three times okay even if you want it so for example someone offers me tea i want it but i say no it's okay thank you 
they say no 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 please let, let me yeah. let me make you tea and it's like no i'm okay thank you meanwhile you really want meanwhile you really want it <laughs> like your throat is dry as the sahara desert and you're like no no but you want to like show them that i'm not gonna make you get up and make me tea and then the third time you say okay like my dad has this amazing story whenever he came to new jersey he was really cold and someone had offered him a jacket oh god <laughs> and this he said no scared. and then they're like okay wait <laughs> this happened to me in middle school i went to my like ashkenazi friend's house for shabbat and they're eating shabbat dinner i'm at their house and their mom goes oh do you want a plate do you want some food i'm like no i'm okay she was like okay and then for the rest of the dinner i was so embarrassed to say i actually wanted food because they didn't offer it a second time so i just sat there for the entire dinner and didn't eat anything and i was so hungry i was like 13 and i was like wait it's the tragedies of taro (laughs) it's the tragedies of taro and then persians like take it offensively if you don't taro yeah but it's like how like, do you expect someone to know what that is behind your back they're gonna be like wow she was so rude she said yes the first time okay I but this is the disturbing <laughs> thing there's also like the meta taro they're like when you do say it, they're like <laughs> it's like what, what? yeah exactly <laughs> like you want me to taro Oh but God. I can't help it. I feel like Tarof is really embedded in my genes. Oh, I, I can't help like, it either. I yeah, do it but then every- even after you Tarof and they make it for you, you have to like say all these things like, oh, God bless your hands. Yeah. Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> Persian is very passionate. Or like, your hands shouldn't hurt. By the way, can I say, ever since we started the podcast and I've been hanging out with you, my dad has never been proud of me. But he's been proud of my Persian. Like last week, he actually said, "Wow, your Persian sounds so nice." Oh, my dad's never complimented me in my life. One time, I tried to make tadik, and it came out good. And I was like, "Wow, I'm amazing!" And my dad's response was like, "Yeah, you're amazing when you're asleep and you're not bothering me." <laughs> <laughs> but for the first time in my life, he's like, "Wow, Natalie, your your Farsi is like re- sounds really nice." I'm I was so like, happy. "The fuck!" Like, you know what's interesting about Persians, though? It's like your dad would say that, but Persians would kill for their children. That's true. That's That's what's we're very passionate culture. We are the type where we say "I hate you" one second, and then the other second we kiss each other and say like "I love you." Yeah, I didn't mean it, and it's really screwed up because it's It's just very heated. Yeah, yeah, because you do say things in the moment where it hurts you, and you know psychologically it stays with you forever mm-hmm. but like, then you have to remind i yourself. keep seeing these memes recently where they're like people are actually starting to make fun of it there's i forgot who like every, a lot of persian comedians do it where they like say something to their mom and they're like oh well when i'm dead is that when you're gonna do it like <laughs> and that's so true my mom is always like <laughs> i'm like what it's like not that's so a true. really heavy thing to say you're saying it so it's lightly so oh they always say like when I'm dead, you'll appreciate me. It's like, oh my god! Yeah, wow, like okay. where did that come that from? That just went from zero like, to literally really quick. She, meanwhile, yeah. she, all she did was cut you watermelon, and you didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Natalie, when I ran into Tara yesterday, she had a really funny way—not funny, but interesting way of. What did you describe our podcast? Um, I was saying how it is the. 21st century i guess we are in the 21st century so it's our generation of dr holoquy (laughs) oh my god (laughs) how great is that so before we started recording um i was telling millie 
I went up to Dr. Holloquy one day and I was like, I used to not like you at all. You told him that? I straight up told him. My dad looked at me like he was going to deck me in the face. <laughs> but I was like, but. I mean, come on. Give me a break. I was 13 years old. You get in your mom's car. She picks you up from school and you're like listening to KRN 670. Like, <laughs> nothing is more irritating i know and then i don't remember i think it was like 15 or something and i randomly actually started tuning in to what he was saying and this persian mom called and she's like i think my daughter has a boyfriend i don't approve so you know to find out i went in her room and i found her diary and i read it i hear this man yelling on the top of his lungs how dare you how dare you do that to your daughter that is her privacy and her room is her territory and you have no right to walk in there without her permission and better yet you have no right to seek her diary open it and read it that is just unacceptable and inappropriate and from that moment on I was like all right all right, I'm into this. I'm very into this. And Dr. Holoquy, for so many people, he's God in the Persian community. And for him to actually support the younger generation and be our voice of reason, I personally think is amazing. I've met many parents, and I've heard one of his episodes on letting your kids move away from college. That's not in the Persian culture oh, wow. to move out of your house. You're supposed to stay there till you're married. <laughs> and he kind of Well, yeah, because if you mold. move out before you're married, you're prostituting yourself in your apartment probably. Yeah, like that's what people <laughs> yeah. think versus now he's just like, no, a woman should have the key to her own apartment before she gets married. I love that. Like... I'm all for that. Go Dr. Holloquy. Yeah, Yeah. go Dr. Holloquy. Come on our show. Mad prof. I was telling her, I was like, you guys got to get him on here. We're going to one day. How how do we reach out to Dr. (laughs) Holloquy? I feel like he's an untouchable. How do we get to him? No, I feel like he would respond. Yeah. Email him. He's a good guy. Yeah. I've enjoyed any conversation I've ever had with him. It's so cool you know him like that. Um, Yeah, so Dr. Holloquy. I actually I have something in regards to mental health like I was saying before her like I've never had panic attacks but I do notice that um more than anyone else guys that I go on dates with point out the fact that I use sarcasm as a defense mechanism for something I don't know I'm like trying to hide something and like can I just read what this guy messaged me um on hinge today (laughs) I was just a little thrown off like I feel like there's something wrong with me um he i i like wrote something to him and he responded haha do you try to use humor as a defense mechanism all the time or are you ever sincere and vulnerable and i was like whoa like you don't i met you yesterday (laughs) that's intense and like now i don't know what to think of myself i feel like i should go to therapy (laughs) (laughs) like like this guy like threw me through a loop i don't know what to do don't worry everyone needs to go to therapy (laughs) yeah everyone needs to i was actually how do you guys feel about personally knowing your therapist everyone's telling me it's a bad idea but i I personally knowing them so i have a distant cousin that i actually recently told her about the podcast and she like works near me she's a therapist and 
I just like I look up to her so much like I'm like we're not that close I don't see her that often but when I do see her I just like really love being around her and I was like I feel like I can open up to this person but everyone's telling me that it's a bad idea to like go to someone that you know personally I feel like the point of therapy is that you have no walls and there's no boundaries Mm -hmm. and it's your safe zone and if they're connected to your family in any type of way without you realizing it subconsciously you might be holding back information yeah i feel that or emotions and won't want to talk about something specific because you don't know if it's good you know it's just it gets complicated i just feel so weird about starting the process and like choosing the right person because i just heard so many people tell me like they went to someone that was horrible and it like i that made them worse and I haven't. I went to a session. So when I was about 18 years old, I got severely, severely depressed. And um, it was environmental. It it wasn't clinical. But, you know, whenever you're in that moment, you're not too aware. And I went to a therapy session it was the worst therapy session I've ever had, but funny enough, it helped. Wait, what? So she was this Persian woman. Oh, okay. Oh, and gosh. I thought being Persian, it might help because they understand the Persian culture because I found that many people who don't understand Persians will give you this type of advice of create boundary, don't do this, don't pick up the phone, like you you don't have to do that. But it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. With Persians, that option isn't there. You do have to because it's family and they would do it for you. But give me guidelines of how to cope with that. And she made my life sound so much worse. Started giving me opinions about what she thinks about everyone in my family so the first hour was a two-hour session the first hour is me hysterically crying talking about what i'm going through why i'm depressed and the second hour was just like this is happening this is happening at one point she used the word abuse i kind of looked at her i was like whoa i'm surprised she made such comments in the first session that's really rare like just not done actually yeah it, it was just i guess not a good therapist but it also opened my eyes where I was like, okay, maybe my life isn't that bad. I need to calm the fuck down. Uh-huh. Like, okay. That's interesting. I need to like start appreciating. It was almost as if she used like reverse psychology on you. Like it's almost as if she like. <laughs> what if it was on purpose? Yeah, yeah. what if yeah. it was on purpose? What if that's just what she does for everyone? That's some Persian <laughs> that... psychology is like manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> the manipulation never ends. <laughs> yeah, come for me for a two hour session and I'll take care of you. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> It's so dark. But ever since then, I've been really scared to go back to therapy. Oh, really? So that was the one experience you that had? That was the one experience I had. Oh. And I haven't been back since. Oh, and I had... funny enough, during this time, I was a psych major. <laughs> and then I switched. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, this is so really sad. You. Yeah, it really affected me. See, that's what freaks me out is that to be a therapist, there's no board like judging the people who are actually going into the field and being like you're right for it you're not right for it it's just you you get the degree and then you start and it's like 
that's what scares me like i don't know i can't trust just any therapist um i think you just have to have good judgment yourself um you can have consultations with them that's what i've done with mine but Mm. i don't know i should have been scared off by my first i mean i had like one time I went to a neurologist when I was like eight because I had migraines and the woman was also a psychologist I guess and she told my family like your daughter is a pathological liar and she's trying to break your family apart and they were like okay we're leaving oh my god um and then like the next time a therapy experience I had was like group therapy with my whole family but I don't really remember what happened and then after that I was 15 and I my parents forced me to go see this Persian psychologist and uh she was also like i think she was kind of racist actually it was just a really bad experience but i knew i wanted to go back to therapy with someone else and i had like three up until the one i have now who's like my favorite so far i feel like he gives opinions in a healthy way and but i mean i had a consultation before like we spoke on the phone for a little bit and i researched his background and um he like had experience expertise in the area that i was looking for and um i don't know you just like know when it clicks but maybe i'm like a really experienced therapy goer now i feel like it's like trying on the perfect pair of shoes you have to keep trying yeah keep trying it's not gonna happen on the first yeah exactly it's like dating i've only ever had (laughs) one real like therapy session but i was like six or seven i was very little like i told you about this no because like when i was younger i my school was far away from my house and I wasn't paying attention in school. And this was like a Jewish school. So automatically if a kid isn't paying attention and they're not getting good grades, they thought I just had a low IQ and a learning disability. So they told my mom, they're like, your daughter is mentally disabled. <laughs> and my mom was like, no, that's not true. My daughter's smart. And they're like, no, she has problems. My mom was like, no. So my mom was like, okay, I'm going to go get her tested by professionals. And like, as a kid, I turned out I had a genius IQ, which your IQ changes over time. I'm sure it's not still a genius IQ now. But when I was tested, I had a genius IQ. So the, the board of the school looked like a bunch of idiots because obviously that wasn't what was wrong with me. Were you bilingual? <clears throat> yeah, I was bilingual, but that wasn't even the issue. So after like testing my IQ, they figured that it's like a psychological problem. that There's something going on in my head that I'm not concentrating and like they took me to like a therapist and she spoke to me and yeah like it turns out it was just like me having like emotional issues like being so far from home because my school was like maybe an hour away and like being an only child i was like very close to my mom so Mm -hmm. i wanted to be near her so my mom just put me in a school closer to home and i was like completely fine (laughs) but that was like the only time i ever went to therapy schools do that my my sister went started school in the 80s where in la where there weren't as many Persians yet Mm -hmm. and they did it with me too they put her in ESL they told my parents that she has like a learning disability schools are so quick to judge they just don't want to take the time to help the kid they're just like your kid has a problem like no I'm bilingual (laughs) like that doesn't make me more stupid also I spoke a language that my father didn't speak so like like languages were just so complicated for me as a kid like i was speaking hebrew then english and then my father didn't understand hebrew so i'd randomly throw in persian words that i'd pick up here and there and then on my own i like fluently understood persian like no one taught me but i would i learned through context clues like it was just so confusing it's hard being 
but like it made school harder for Farsi's me hard yeah Good for you but yeah being bilingual for any kid it makes school harder yeah i can't imagine we were lucky enough that we went to a school with a bunch of persians but yeah. well like, i mean my like k through like fifth grade experience was not so great i went to beverly vista and there were like definitely a less amount of persians there and I was also, like, I was supposed to be flunked in the first grade. And they just, always, every year, they were like, there's something wrong with your daughter. I don't know if it had to do with being bilingual, though. They said I drew too much. You were yeah, too they, they said I was daydreaming too much. I was always just oh, staring to the distance. I was the daydreamer, too. Oh, my, and my teachers were so creepy. Like, I had this one teacher. She would, like, come up and poke her head from behind me and go over my shoulder and be like, Natalie, what are you doing? And I'd be like, what? Where am I? I don't know where it, like... <laughs> i'd be so confused sorry that we're creative yeah and that we like exactly. to use our imagination i was an only child so obviously i had an overactive imagination you have to as an only child because you have to like make up imaginary friends to play with all the time they still do that <laughs> <laughs> be honest <laughs> yeah, don't lie to us well thank you so much for coming on today yeah of course and i'm so happy to be part of this conversation i think it's really important same here i hope other people can relate to yeah, the stories and other people if you can relate like dm us your stories anonymously or if you want to come on and speak like not yeah whichever you're comfortable with yeah we're always open and thank you so much for sharing your stories like it's so awesome yeah i feel like this is the most in-depth conversation we've ever had and i've known you for like over 10 years oh i love that i love yeah, that too for a podcast is pretty awesome i know i know look at us. it was meant to be anytime yeah. i bump into someone i know in manhattan i'm like what are the chances we'd be on the same street at the same time it was meant to be that's exactly. true we bump into each other a lot yeah though. i was that's thinking that i was like Pamela and i actually bump into each other a lot <laughs> that's funny always yeah. random places too that's true okay all right good night Thanks, guys. Were you about to say good night? No, I was about to say. <laughs> what, we always record at night usually, and I'm always like Shabbat but like it's, Bro, it's, it's broad 2:30. daylight. <laughs>